Good morning. I'm the Joe referred to. My pronouns are he and him, and it's good to be with all of you today. It's good to be with those of you joining us online as well. Welcome here. Did you hear that scripture? Did you hear what it just said about church? About us? Frankly, I am insulted. And as a religious professional, a little bit threatened. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. I'm not listening to the racket of your guitar. Ouch. (laughs) My guitar. It's getting a bit personal. God is angry in Amos chapter 5. That image of justice rolling down like a river. With apologies to the graphic artist for the season of creation logo, this is not the river in the metaphor. Amos is describing a flash flood, a wadi canyon that surges with a vicious torrent when the downpour crashes into the Middle Eastern wilderness. You heard about the floods in Libya. That is this, moving boulders, knocking down trees, carving new paths. Let justice roll down like that, waters that rage. There's a lot to be said about the context for this ancient outburst. The short version is that the prophet is accusing the people of God of performative religion. They love to look around at all the other nations to point fingers for their moral failures They thought they were better than everyone else because they were God's chosen, because they had God's blessing. They had God's blessing because of their ancestry, because of their traditions, their temple, their rituals, and that made them special. But no, the prophet says, who are you to be judgmental of anyone else? You're doing the same things they are. Your corruption, your sin is the same as theirs. Doesn't matter that you live near the holy city doesn't matter who your grandparents are. It's not about what you believe or what church you go to. What sets you apart, what is supposed to make you the people of God is justice, ethics, right living, right relationships. If you don't treat people well, if you don't treat God's creation well, how can you say you are God's people? You're betraying God. God feels angry about that. God is yelling about that. Fair warning, I'm going to back up and yell now. I can see you. I know what you're up to. I've tracked your crimes. I can smell your guilt. Loud noises. Not you. Them. God is angry about the injustice in the world. How do you feel about that? Sorry if the yelling is a little bit much this morning. If you're new to Wildwood, this is not my usual flavor. Today I'm picking up some of the leftovers from our summer worship series on Valerie Kaur's model of revolutionary love. Throughout the summer, we picked our way through her book, See No Stranger, and her ideas of how to love ourselves, how to love those around us, how to love those we consider to be our opponents, our enemies. 
We've explored this revolutionary love compass model, and we've talked about the wisdom of joy, wonder, grieving, fighting, and breathing. We didn't do all of this this summer, and so this fall I'll be coming back periodically to some of these other themes. And today it's time for a little bit of rage, one part of this much larger story. I'd like to say up front that this sermon is not for everyone today. I know some of you came to church feeling tired, feeling worn down, looking for something to lift you up. A sermon about rage is not what you were hoping for. Fair enough. My apologies. I hope that other parts of the service this morning will remind you that you are loved, that you belong, that we are all in this together. If my part this morning is not helpful for the space that you're in right now, that's okay. Let it roll past like the waters of the river. This isn't meant for everyone. And I also know that some of us do not respond well to anger. Conflict is threatening. Some of us learned to be afraid of anger from others and from our, our own anger. I grew up around some pretty intense shouting matches between my grandpa and my dad on the farm. And I learned to fear this conflict. I learned that anger is explosive, that it's dangerous, that people say things they can't take back, that anger hurts people and tears things apart. Better to keep it tucked down deep and just hope that it never gets out. More on that in a minute. Whatever your story, most of us have our own stories, our own baggage around anger. So just be aware of that today. You're bringing stuff with you. You, have, you might have some kind of reaction to this sermon. Some of you might have felt it already. I felt the room tense up whenever I started to get excited and yell. There's adrenaline, there's tension, there's alertness. You get your back up, your muscles flex. Maybe you go in the other direction. Disconnection, annoyance, shutting down, backing away, becoming small. Whatever it is that you're bringing today, it's okay. Fight, flight, freeze. Anger is meant to activate us, to flood our systems with energy, to get us to pay attention. To do that well, to pay attention, we need to come to terms with our capacity for rage. Here's how Valerie introduces her chapter on rage. I always thought that the opposite of love was rage. The extreme, irrational, uncontrollable expression of anger. The force that drove people to hurt others with their words or weapons. Rage was to be tamed and wrestled down like a wild animal within us. We were only as evolved or spiritual or good as our ability to subdue it. Only when our rage was subdued could we unlock our human potential to love others, even our opponents. I don't know when I learned this, but it ran so deep that it must have been at the onset of memory. It must have been inherited. I worked hard to be a good girl. In my journals, I drew portraits of my body with my feet trapped in the muck of sins, rage, envy, desire, and my arms reaching up toward the sky, towards goodness and purity. The upper half of me was the real me. The lower half was the shameful me that I needed to transcend. I had absorbed the gender norms I saw in movies, books, and billboards. 
men and boys were to measure their worth by displays of their aggression and machismo, women and girls by their politeness and absence of anger, in the fairy tales, in the workplace, and in bed. I think this is why, for as long as I can remember, my response to getting hurt as a girl was always paralysis, followed by shame, never anger. I bypassed rage or subdued it as soon as it arose. That's what it meant to be a good girl, to have the compassion of a savior, forgiveness on the sleeve. After all, rage was the opposite of love. This was a lie. The opposite of love is not rage. The opposite of love is indifference. Love engages all our emotions. Joy is the gift of love. Grief is the price of love. Anger is the force that protects that which is loved. We cannot access the depth of loving ourselves or others without our rage. What do you think? Is anger the opposite of love, meant to be overcome and controlled lest someone get hurt? Or is anger the strength of love, giving us biological and psychological and relational energy to protect and move and create positive change in the world? I would say that's far from a settled question. It's not a simple either or in most situations. <clears throat> This quote immediately takes me back a couple of years to a kerfuffle on the playground after school a few years ago. When I was picking up Nate after grade one, he eagerly showed me this snow sculpture that he and his friend had made during recess earlier. This was a treasure to a grade one kid. He was proud of this and he had hoped to play, play with it again the next day. There were a couple of other kids hanging around, doing what kids do, throwing snow, finding stuff to stomp on, and they ran out of stuff to stomp on in their area, and they started heading over towards Nate's area, looking for things to crunch. And Nate went up to them and carefully explained to them this was his spot, this was his treasure, please don't mess anything up. Which was really good stuff for a grade one kid. He's using his words to stand up for himself, to diffuse the situation. I was observing from a distance, was very proud of him, and it seemed to work. The two boys turned their attention elsewhere, and Nate went on with his playing. A few minutes later, I was standing off to the side and I saw these two boys huddled up with a third friend. And they're whispering and kind of pointing over towards where Nate was playing. And the huddle broke up. The one kid went one way towards where Nate was playing and the two others kind of circled around behind. I could totally see what was about to happen. One to distract from the front while the two others rushed in to destroy from behind. Three against one, destroying something good just for the fun of it. Not on my watch, you bullies. Triggered is the right word. There was a flash of rage and I tore off across the playground. Hey, you will not. Forget exactly what I said, but I was angry and large and had big angry snow boots and they were like six. <laughs> they, got the, they got the message to back off. 
And of course, their mom showed up right about then, saw me charging across the playground at them. She missed the part where her kids were clearly being the bullies. She definitely saw the part where I was yelling at her children while I chased them around the playground. <laughs> she stormed over and she yelled something at me and I yelled something back at her. The whole thing lasted about 30 seconds and she packed up her kids and went home. Victory! That was the end of it. Nothing more, although I definitely kept my hood up and my scarf over my face after school for the next few weeks. Anger is the force that protects that which is loved. Is that what this story is about? I don't know. Was my anger justified that day? Sure felt righteous. Maybe it was about standing up to bullies. Or maybe it wasn't even about that. I forget what else was going on that day. It was probably stressed out about something. This might have had more to do with my own insecurities, my powerlessness in general in life. Here was a fight that I could win, so yeah, I'm going to charge into this and then let the rage out for a minute. I didn't hurt anyone, but I didn't make any friends that day. I didn't practice what I preached to my kids. Nate did a better job of diffusing things than I did, that's for sure. And the snow creation that I thought was so important to Nate, well, he actually just forgot about it the next day. He didn't even remember when I asked him, hey, did you play with this thing that you had made? No clue. It wasn't that important after all. Some of you know the adage from Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is, is what it is. It's emotion, it's energy, it's force. It's, it's instinctive and natural, even essential. And it needs good boundaries to be effective and healthy. Valerie Kaur says that rage needs to be directed into safe containers. She points out that in many societies, women and minorities are taught to repress their anger, to choke it down so as not to provoke retaliation. And on the opposite end, men and, women and people with power are socialized that anger is the only acceptable emotion. So fear and sadness, shame and ambition, even joy are experienced through the lens of rage. Just turn on a football game this afternoon and you'll see what I mean. I think all of these guys are winning, actually, but they are so angry about it. Whether choked down or expressed through aggression, our experiences of anger end up controlling us. More from Valerie. Suppressed anger always finds a way to explode. For women and girls, it is more likely to explode internally as self-hatred or stress or illness. For men and boys, it is more likely to erupt as violence against others. The solution is not to suppress our rage or let it explode, but to process our rage in safe containers, emotional spaces safe enough to express our body's impulses without shame and without harming ourselves or others. Safe containers take many forms, shaking, weeping, Venting, writing, art, music, dance, drama, meditation, trauma therapies, rituals, and ceremonies of all kinds. Only when we give rage an external expression outside our bodies can we be in relationship with it. We can then ask, what information does my rage carry? What is it telling me? How do I want to harness this energy? Anger is loaded with information and energy 
says Audre Lorde. Focused with precision, it can become a powerful source of energy, serving progress and change. Lord asks us to tend to the rage within us as a symphony, to listen to its rhythms, to learn within it, to move beyond the manner of presentation to the substance, to tap that anger as an important source of empowerment, she says. It is a rhythm. Step away to rage, return to listen, and reimagine the solutions together. It becomes a kind of dance to release raw rage in a safe container in order to send divine rage into the world like focused fury. Safe containers. You'll notice she did not list Facebook or Twitter as healthy expressions of rage. They bring lots of anger for sure, but there's a difference between rage and digitally manufactured outrage. But safe doesn't mean polite or tame. It means intentional, purposeful, not harming others or self, but moving towards health and balance. This is Valerie's list again, shaking, weeping, venting, writing, art, music, dance, drama, med meditation, trauma therapies, rituals, and ceremonies of all kinds. Our spiritual ancestors would add prophetic action, angry praying, fasting, singing, nonviolent protest. I'm sure you can think of others. Valerie calls all of this the work of divine rage. Divine rage is fierce, disciplined, and visionary. The aim of divine rage is not vengeance, but to reorder the world. It is precise and purposeful. It points us to the humanity even of those we are fighting. Perhaps our task as human beings is to find safe containers for our raw reactionary rage and then choose to harness that energy in a way that creates a new world for all of us. <clears throat> So, what does that mean in our season of creation? As those of you who were here last week, we often think of the season of creation as celebration, as lots of enjoyment of the good things and being grateful for God's blessing, uh, the goodness of the harvest to come. But here we have anger as well. First, I would say this is an invitation to check your own emotional response. As I pointed out earlier, this image, this framing of the season of creation is fairly mild. It's very church friendly, it avoids controversy. Let's celebrate the season of creation. Everybody loves nature. Let's be thankful for the beauty of the earth, etc. And that's all true. And at the same time, we all know that this is really about climate change, the climate emergency, the climate crisis, global warming, global boiling, environmental destruction. Those words are a little more loaded, a little more political, a little more controversial, even in a fairly green congregation like Wildwood. Some of us are gonna get a little fired up about this stuff. I'm not here to argue about the terminology or the severity of climate change, not today, but I do wanna encourage us to pay attention to our emotional responses to this shared experience. The climate crisis is usually debated in terms of science, public policy, economics, technology, 
We're looking for problems and we're looking for potential solutions. It's all necessary stuff. And there's also an emotional component to all of this. There's a whole lot of feelings in the air about climate change. Fear, denial, grief, guilt, withdrawal, defensiveness, confusion, despair, others. There's no right or wrong about your feelings. Feelings are just information. Climate is a huge deal. Given what's at stake, given the intensity of the conversation, a little bit of rage is to be expected. Anger is very much likely to be part of that emotional mix for each of us. Maybe it's close to the surface, maybe it's buried deeper. For some of us, anger is the secondary emotion that masks deeper fear or grief. And for others, it's the anger that's underneath, and it shows up only in the safer feelings of bitterness or guilt. Whatever that looks like for you, some fury would be a perfectly normal response to a disturbance this big, no matter what you think about it. So today, let today be an invitation to check in with your feelings, to do that dance that Valerie described. Do that for yourself. Step in to listen. Step back to find a safe container for any rage that might be there. Step back in to listen again. Come together to reimagine, to reorder the world, and so on. Along those lines, we can also expect, anticipate, look for rage among other people. You may remember Greta Thunberg's speech at the 2019 United Nations Climate Action Summit. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. What do we do with anger like that? Greta's fury, as you might remember, she electrified the news in the social media circles for weeks. Some people cheered her passion and added their anger to hers. Some people jeered and reacted angrily back at her. And of course, there was lots of discourse about whether or not her anger was appropriate, whether it was helpful, or whether it was divisive. And instead of anger, we should treat each other with civility and decorum. Rage makes us uncomfortable, but I don't think we need to be surprised by it. 
We shouldn't attempt to shut it down because of our discomfort. I like what Valerie has to say about dealing with those who are angry. Rather than taming public expressions of moral outrage, perhaps it is up to the rest of us to train our ears to hearing beyond what we are able to hear, in the words of theorist Judith Butler, so that we can discern the truth of the pain of injustice and confront our own complicity and responsibility. Just as we need accomplices to hold protected spaces where the most traumatized among us can tend to our grief, so too we need accomplices to stand by us when we express our rage and help others to understand it. Can we be accomplices for those who are angry about injustice? When things get heated, my initial reaction is to tell everybody to calm down, relax. It's a very helpful strategy. People love hearing to be told to relax. Perhaps I need to learn to calm myself instead in healthy ways so that I can hear beyond what we are able to hear, so that I can translate my understanding to good communication, so that I can help to create those safe containers for others to express their rage without harm. One more. The season of creation is an invitation to seek out and help create those safe containers for our, for our anger and for that of others. Bring back that list of safe containers, shaking, weeping, venting, and so on. Anything that helps to move our anger outside of ourselves, to move it in a space just beyond us where we can look at it, we can express it, we can examine it, we can wonder about it, and ultimately we can transform it into healthy engagement and reordering of the world. Lots of ways to do this, and a lot of it happens in community. And there are lots of group expressions happening around the, cri the climate crisis. A few opportunities to highlight. One is the Mennonite Church Saskatchewan Climate Emergency Response Team. That's being led by Len Rempel of Pleasant Point and Warman Mennonite Churches and Mark Bigland Pritchard of Osler and MCC Saskatchewan. Their team brought us the invitation to join the season of creation and they've provided prayers and, their, and public events to help MCSASC process and respond to the climate change crisis together. And they would love to have more people join them, whether that's volunteering to help with their organizing or just more conversation. One of the events they're working on is a prayer walk by the river on Sunday afternoon, October 1st. Um, you can see the details there. Um, this announcement will be in the congregational emails upcoming as well. I don't think this is meant to be a particularly angry walk, but if you want to show up and walk hard, you certainly can do that. Another community creating safe containers is Kairos Canada. They have a lot going on from prayer gatherings to political rallies to educational opportunities. The Kairos email list is a great place to start. So just some practical things you can follow up with. I can't tell you what safe containers will work well for you. Just encourage you to go and try some things for yourself. That's it. That's my rant on rage in the season of creation. May God help us to make space within ourselves for the full range of emotions in this wild and wonder-filled human experience. May God help us to make space for others to experience and express the full range of their own emotions. And may God give us patience and understanding in our complex communication. And may God be gentle with us as we learn and grow in the midst of the raging waters of justice and peace.
Amen.